0: Hello, my name is David Lessner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at creekwoodumc.com or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. Yeah,
1: that, but Our scripture for today is um, a scripture about somebody who's sitting in the bleachers watching somebody, but hasn't always. And so it's Paul, who writes many letters, a prolific letter, there are actually letters referred to that Paul wrote or churches that Paul planted that are referred to in other letters like First Clement and otherwise that we don't have in our scriptures. So Paul is a profil- prolific church planter. He's a prolific teacher. He's a prolific pastor. He's a prolific um, author or writer of letters as well. And this is one called First Timothy that he wrote to one of his protégés named Timothy. And um, we're going to have one from chapter 1 and one from chapter 4. So it says, I am giving you these instructions, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies made earlier about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight, having faith and a good conscience. And then he goes on in chapter 4, says, These are the things you must insist on and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I arrive, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhorting, to teaching, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Put these things into practice. Devote yourselves to them so that all may see your progress. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Continue in these things, for in doing this you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is the word of God for all the people of God. Let us say, thanks be to God. Our scripture for today is um, a... Scripture about somebody who's sitting in the bleachers watching somebody but hasn't always. And so it's Paul who writes many letters, a prolific letter. There are actually letters referred to that Paul wrote or churches that but Paul planted that are referred to in other letters like First Clement and otherwise that we don't have in our scripture. So Paul is a profil- prolific church planter. He's a prolific teacher. He's a prolific pastor. He's a prolific um, author or writer of letters as well. And this is one called First Timothy that he wrote to one of his protégés named Timothy. And um, we're going to have one from chapter 1 and one from chapter 4. So it says, I am giving you these instructions, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies made earlier about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight, having faith and a good conscience. And then he goes on in chapter 4, says, These are the things you must insist on and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I arrive, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhorting, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Put these things into practice. Devote yourselves to them so that all may see your progress. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Continue in these things, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is the word of God for all the people of God. Let us say thanks be to God. Let's stand up and sing in response. I sound beautiful this morning. you can be seated. I too just want to take a moment like y'all sound really beautiful today and there's like not every Sunday when I can hear y'all singing behind me and it is today and it's just it's really good for my soul I believe it's really good for your soul and so even if you don't think you're a great singer thank you for singing because it is good for you to sing to the Lord and it says in scripture we should sing to the Lord and so thank you for lending your voice to an awesome experience so far this morning. Um, Now after I've praised you is it okay if we make fun of ourselves for a little bit? And I'm saying because I'm going to start with me first. So uh, I just want to make fun of ourselves for a little bit. And I just want to prepare that I may be digging a little too deep into your personal lives with some of these true or false questions that I'm going to ask you. So true or false, TCU did not win their March Madness game last Sunday because I forgot to wear this very purple shirt to preach in true absolutely right i fully blame and i take the responsibility for all of my fellow horned frogs in the congregation now turn to you your favorite sports team has lost a game this season because you did not wear your lucky shirt sat on the wrong ceiling sofa washed your socks or put one lens ounce of cheese on your traditional game day nachos true or false yeah i figured that was the answer all right true or false your favorite sports team won a game because you got home from work and started watching at just the right time for the turnaround true or false True. Okay, I heard more true in there. True or false? You have jinxed your favorite sports team by turning on the game at just the right time when they started to lose. True or false? <laughs> Which one is it? Now you're not even making sense because you were winning the game because you watched. Now you're jinxing the game before you did Unless you all just have different like, energies about who's turning on the game, I guess. All right, true or false? The referee or umpire at a sporting event makes a decision based upon how much you yell about how much they stink at their job or insults their family. True or false? I just want to let you know the people in the soccer uniforms are saying false down here. So thank you for leading us well, children. True or false? The highly paid, highly experienced coach of a sports team who has a staff of hundreds and a team budget beyond our wildest dreams would do infinitely better at her or his job by listening to us. Everybody's saying true, right? Everybody knows how to run a sports franchise way better than the people who actually have the experience of running sports franchises. All right, true or false? The more you yell at, doubt, cuss at, or admonish the coach or players on your favorite sports team, the better they will perform. (laughs) Thank you. You know, the traditional crowd, not altogether older, but still majority older. I asked them that question, they all said true. Right? There is some understanding that the more that we are in the upper deck yelling at people who cannot hear us, the better they will do in their performance. The more that we admonish people and demand that, or just tell them how ignorant they are apparently because this is what we all like from our bosses and supervisors at work, right? This is what we all like from our friends. This is what we all like from our church community is to be yelled at all the time because that motivates us to do better, correct? All right. True or false, when I asked those questions, you were picturing a college or professional sports team in your mind? False. True or false, you or people you know might behave in these ways at your children or grandchildren's sporting events. Thank you for being honest with yourselves. And you can throw in dance parents, band parents, theater parents, whatever you want to cover the gambit of, it's probably True. True or false, we behave in this way because we like to pretend that we have control over everything and everyone in our lives, and knowing that we don't causes us great stress and feelings of uselessness. True. I'll just go ahead and say that for you. Absolutely true. We do these things because it gives us some modicum of control. We yell at the ref because they are the gatekeeper between my team and our success. And I say our success because you know how invested you are because if the stars win, you win. If the Cowboys lose, you see how many people break down in tears, right? If a and happens to lose, there's a whole quarter of DFW that just doesn't wanna see you the next day, right? We have these emotions tied up because we need to feel useful. We need to feel like we matter. We need to feel like we have some level of control. And so the story we're looking at today, or the question we're asking today is, what would Jesus do in the bleachers? And it was originally going to be a sermon about how we shouldn't absolutely hate somebody that we have no relationship with whatsoever, because I have been to sporting events. I have seen you at your kids' events. Not maybe you necessarily, but I've seen people at kids' sporting events. And it is amazing how when you put a striped shirt on, instantly you are the devil's friend. It is amazing how when you put on a jersey of another color, all of a sudden you are the devil's advocate of some sort. It was originally going to be that. But last week we talked in What Would Jesus Do in Retirement about this notion that leaving a legacy. But leaving a legacy isn't just for people who are phasing out of work and going on to an older frame of life. Leaving a legacy is for anybody who's being watched at the moment anybody who's being followed at the moment and believe it or not every time we sit in the bleachers we are watching someone else and trying to control by the way that we behave in the bleachers someone else is watching us including our children who are playing the game and watching how we're interacting with them while they're playing the game or what we're expecting or yelling at the other team while they're doing that and so leaving a legacy is for us in the bleachers who are having to watch and i think the hardest part about having to watch is you feel like you're being replaced you feel like you're useless You feel like you can't control the outcome of the game. You feel like you want your kid to get the part so badly, but you can't do it for them. And so you become a bulldozer parent, and you knock the way out so that they can have all the success in the world without actually having to earn, or try, or experience failure, or learn from life in any way. And I want to look at a situation in Scripture—we'll get to Jesus at the end—but a follower of Jesus named Paul who uh, develops this relationship with a young man named Timothy. And Timothy, we know, is young in First Timothy, the letter that Paul writes to Timothy. It says, don't let anyone despise you because of your youth. They meet in Acts chapter 16, and Timothy impresses Paul so much that Paul says, hey, why don't you come with me on my journeys as we're going to plant churches and spread the gospel. And, and, and Timothy becomes this kind of trusted protege of, of Paul to eventually, because of the nature of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, he was trusted with his own churches. Paul wasn't with him anymore leading these churches. He was entrusting these churches to Timothy. And First and Second Timothy are kind of like Paul's swan songs, that he knows his time is ending. He knows his—I mean, he gets arrested and he gets killed, but he knows that his time of being the leader is over. And I think this had to have been incredibly difficult for Paul. Because I think Paul would fit in with the Allen, Lovejoy, Lucas, Fairview, McKinney crowd quite well. Paul, I read scripture to see that Paul is an incredibly type A driven, high impact individual. And we know that Paul went all about the Mediterranean planning churches. He was not afraid to make hard decisions as well in getting the job done. We can see in 1 Timothy, it talks about among them are this Hymenaeus and Alexander people who have turned over to Satan so that they may learn not to blaspheme. He's not afraid to hurt people's feelings for the good of the mission. We can also see that he's not afraid to take spiritual authority over people as he refers to Timothy as his child. He refers to other people as his child in this kind of father-son, mentor-mentee relationship. Paul is not afraid to be in charge. In fact, I think he likes being in charge. In fact, I think he likes being in charge a little too much because if we look at the letter to the Romans, there are a couple different times in Paul's letters where he says, I long to be with you. But in Romans, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far I've been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as I have among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul wants to visit Rome to make disciples, to baptize people. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, except for it's already happening in Rome. Paul never makes it to Rome until he's put on trial. Paul never makes this to the church in Rome, and yet that church, the entire crux of the letter, is how do Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians get along? What is faith really about? So there are already Gentiles who are finding God. There are already Gentiles who are being reaped in a harvest. There are already Gentiles coming to this, but yet Paul writes in this way in which it's not going to happen without him, even though it's already happening. We call this a bottleneck. A bottleneck is a person who believes that nothing can happen without them. And I struggle with this, maybe you struggle with this as well, is this kind of self-importance about ourselves in which if I'm not there then it's not valid or if I'm not there then it's not going to get done correctly or if I'm not the one driving the boat then it's all of a sudden going to, you know, not work really really well. And I have this done for me is if I'm not at something then it's not as blessed as it could be or it's not as valid as it could be. There are lots of different ways in which I struggle with this and maybe you do too of needing to feel like you Control the outcome of the event, right? When maybe all we're supposed to do is sit in the bleachers and root on somebody else who's doing it. Maybe maybe all we're being asked to do is to find the usefulness in the person that we have been useful for and mentoring them up. And I give Paul a lot of credit in First and Second Timothy because somehow he's made the flip in First and Second Timothy to be able to um, turn over the reins to Timothy. And I think it flows into this, what we call apprentice model. This is a model I learned about in leadership. And um, when you look at it, you can see how every blacksmith or whatever used to train up leaders or train up their replacement. Believe it or not, in this world, and especially in this country, there used to be a principle in business in which you were actively training your replacement on the job. You were encouraging your replacement. You weren't competing with your replacement. You weren't feeling useless when you got replaced. You were encouraging this flow of information so that someone else could take what you think of as vitally important and do it in a way that you have guided them to know. And so the person who gets up there to take a pitch and swing the bat is able to do it on their own because you have guided them to be able to do it and you don't have to do it for them. And you don't have to feel like you have to yell at the umpire when they call a strike because you know what? The person at the plate can tell between a ball and a strike and they can choose whether they're going to swing the bat or not. And the apprentice model looks like this. It says, you watch while I teach. You watch and learn while I do what I am a master in. Then the second step is, you help while I do. You come along. I'm still going to do the job, but you help me along while we're doing it so that you can get some experience while you're—to to gain some hands-on experience. Number three, I help while you do. This time, you're the leader and I'm the helper. I want to see if you can do it. But you know what? On a mission trip with a power saw, I'm still going to make sure that your thumbs are not in the the wrong place so that you keep your thumbs and you stay along the guide and we get the job done correctly. But eventually, eventually, I watch while you do. Eventually, we have to step back if we are in these leadership positions or if we're in these legacy-making positions and step back and say, you know what, I'm going to fully entrust for you to do this. And to not get to that place is what we call pride. And H. Richard Niebuhr was a theologian at Union Seminary up in New York, and he boiled it down to where all sin comes from pride. Because all sin has to do with this world revolves around me, only exists because of me, and if that's the case, then where's there room for God to work? And when we get into bottlenecks of making this affirmation that I am the only one who matters, I have to be in Rome to make disciples. If I'm not there, this church will not succeed. If I'm not there, these disciples will not be made. If I can't let Timothy do his thing, then how will we ever know how God's giftedness will live out in Timothy's life? How will we ever know what God is doing through the rest of the world? And in fact, if I think it's all about me, then how will I know where God's actually doing something? Because I think it's all about me, and I'm the only one who can make this happen. And so this apprentice relationship between Paul and Timothy is such a good model to look at for all of us who have anybody watching us or following us on no matter age level experience because it means that at some point we need to free them to experience God's giftedness for themselves if we are truly going to live into God's design for the sharing and the spreading that is promoted. I mean, Jesus says this in John chapter 14. He uh, is giving this promise that, don't worry, I'm going to depart from you, but I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send you the advocate. The Holy Spirit is going to come and be amongst you. And in that whole speech, Jesus has this very kind of puzzling statement to me. He says, and you will do even greater things than I have. And when I think about the things that Jesus was able to do, I have yet to be able to walk on water, I have tried. I am not able to do those things. Maybe I don't have enough faith, but I have not been able to do those things. And when I think about what Jesus is saying, well, you can do the things that I have done, it gives me great doubt that, no, I need Jesus to do this. And maybe if Jesus had stayed around the eternity of time, that he would have done a great job. He would have been perfect. But I don't think greater is in terms of quality. I think it's in terms of quantity. Just think about if Paul thinks that he's the only person that can make disciples and plant churches— And Paul dies and nobody takes the mantle from him. Where are we today? Jesus was wise about this. Jesus knew that, yes, he is the Son of God. He is the creator of all things. He has more power than we will ever have. And yet he limits himself and gives us the responsibility so that the mission spreads far and wide. And we're the beneficiaries of that. And those who we help are the beneficiaries of that because Jesus was able to take a step back and say, if I keep doing this for you, you're never going to live into your giftedness. If I keep doing this for you, you're never going to take ownership and experience your own free will gift. And yes, that means you make mistakes. And yes, that means you learn from the mistakes and learning from the mistakes makes you better to go out and do it even better and then greater things can happen when we all learn how to do it and we're all empowered to do it and jesus never worried about being replaced because jesus knows there's a bright future because i think when we're watching people and feeling like they're replacing us we feel useless instead of looking at how we've guided them and how useful we've been to get them to that point How many of you ever had that experience where you're watching your kids, you know, on stage or play baseball or you're at VBS and they're doing some fun game and you think, I wish I got to do that. Like, adulthood is so boring. I get to drive people to do fun things instead of actually doing fun things. And I think that's this notion in which we're longing for the days when we got to be the center of attention. We're longing for the days in which we got to control the outcome. We're longing for the times in which we were in the mix But I think when we watch Jesus and we see how Paul takes this relationship that Jesus expresses and passes it on to Timothy, we see something even greater because we're not promoting our own pride and we're not leaning into just the greatness that God has given us, but we are spreading the mission and sharing the mission and expanding the mission out to where other people can experience the joy and the goodness of life. And what is our primary mission? To make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. To go and baptize the nations in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The whole mission that Jesus expresses is about spreading and sharing and multiplying and inviting. It is never about just me. And when we are in the bleachers, it forces us to look upon as somebody else shines— When we're in the bleachers, it forces us to trust that somebody else can go and take the pitch and somebody else can do the performance and somebody else can make the play without us impacting their lives. And when we see it happen, doesn't it bring you this immense sense of pride when they do it well? The problem we have is the sense of control when it doesn't go well. But that's exactly when they learn. That's exactly when we learn. Is when it doesn't go well, we learn what to do better next time. There's a story in uh, creeping up toward the arrest of Jesus in in Matthew as we're getting into the time of crucifixion and and during Holy Week. uh, It's coming up after next week. It says uh, that Peter, uh, that they've come to arrest Jesus. And Peter, who has traveled with Jesus for three years, who have heard his message of peace, heard his message of grace, heard his message of forgiveness, um, does the natural reaction um, when someone's getting arrested is he takes out his sword and he cuts off one of the guy's ears, which is... An incredibly accurate shot, by the way, to just cut off in here. Um, and Jesus' response isn't, thank you so much, now I can continue doing all the work. Jesus' response is, stop it. That's enough. Those who take the sword, die by the sword. Those who live by pride, die by pride. And I think Jesus has this peace of knowing that he is going, you know, his freedom, He's or he's His losing of power intentionally through crucifixion is ultimately going to free us all from the pride that we feel and the sin that we have. He's going to gain his power back in resurrection, and he knows that we're going to do the same, and he knows the Holy Spirit is coming to empower all of us. So he's okay losing his power because he trusts that God has something bigger in mind, and he trusts that God is doing something in the lives of other people beyond what we can see right now. And when we try and control things, we're usually not trusting what somebody else is doing or how God is working in the world in somebody's eyes. And I would say that our own need for control, our own need to be on the field instead of in the bleachers is largely the reason that we don't think God is doing anything. It's largely the way, the blinder that gets put on in which we think, what is God doing? Well, it's usually because we don't trust God to do anything. And we're so busy from the bleachers trying to control what's going on on the field, trying to control what's going on that we're not letting other people shine and we're not letting God do the work. So I want to suggest that Jesus taught while we watched. I want to suggest that we followed while Jesus did. And then Jesus helped while we did. So that Jesus entrusts us with the mission of the church. What I want to lean farther into is, with so many messages of go and do and go and share and go and be that are in Scripture, it is very hard, I recognize, to not feel this immense pressure like the entirety of Christianity rests on your shoulders and Maybe some of you don't feel that, but sometimes I do. I want you to recognize that everything Jesus did was meant to be repeatable. It was meant to be learned and shared, including the way that he gave up power in which he was on the throne. He was in heaven, and yet he chose to come and be with us and show us the way, ultimately dying for us, knowing that as we learn to die to ourselves, this is scriptural, y'all, we learn to die to ourselves, we rise with Christ into new beings and new beginnings and new becomings. I think the problem we have and why we lash out is that we're not really comfortable dying to ourselves. We feel useless. Instead of recognizing how useful we have been. Every child you watch on the field, you have been useful in getting them to that place. Every child that is on stage, you have been useful to getting them to that place. Every child that is going to be a teacher and teach somebody else, you have been useful to getting to that place. And so maybe our role as Christians sometimes isn't to control everything and be the bottleneck of progress. Maybe our role is to step back and recognize that we have been useful and it's time for somebody else to shine. Maybe it's our job to sit and encourage people and... Proclaim them and let them shine and just watch them shine and be proud of what God has done through us. And I know that could be hard. Because if you're a type A person like Paul and you want to have influence and you want to have impact, it is hard to sit back and the Christian message is one of action and the Wesleyan Methodist message is one of action. But let me say to all of you who have children that are involved in things, that you care deeply about. Let me say to all of those who have grandchildren who are involved in things that you care deeply about their outcome. Let me say to all of those who think that the world runs around you, that you, the government would fall upon your shoulders. On, you know, it says that G, about Jesus and Isaiah. Let me just say to all of those who have issues of letting go. It is not about you. This world is not about you. You are a vital, important part of what God is doing, but not everything revolves around you. And it is okay if other people shine. It is okay, it is okay if you intentionally limit your own power and choose to give somebody else the opportunity to shine. This is what Jesus has done for us. It talks about it in Philippians. It is what Paul did for Timothy. And there is no amount of progress we can make if we are the bottleneck of progress. There is no amount of progress we can make if we have so much pride that we think we need to control everything. And so let's pray and let's give it to God. Let's pray. Lord God, we trust in you that you are raising up the leaders amongst us. And Lord, we know that our legacy does not have to be just a young person. It might be the older person who hasn't had the chance to shine or invited into an opportunity to follow you more closely. It might be someone of our own age and station in life who has just never received the invites or the mentorship to uh, shine in the way that you are gifted. And so God, we apologize for the times in which we have not trusted you with the care of somebody else. And God, while we know we are never stopped called to be disciples, sometimes we're called to handle the mantle over. Trust that you are doing something bigger than we are capable of. Trust that humility leads to greatness. And so, God, may those people arise around us. May our eyes be open to those whom we need to mentor and love. May our hearts be open to letting them try maybe fail, and then try again. May we be a movement that inspires so many more than just ourselves. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Now, kids, if y'all want to come...
0: Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at CreekwoodUMC and our website, CreekwoodUMC.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.